That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to episode 568. Uh, It's a rerun a best of episode from the first year of the podcast with Eddie Pepitone, who was a, a great guest, really funny comedian and uh, and great guy. Uh, as I mentioned uh, last week, I am taking December off, so we'll be running best of episodes. Our sponsor this week, as always, is BetterHelp.com online counseling, and I want to read an email that I got from a listener who calls himself Phil from Thursdays, and uh, he writes, uh, Hi, Paul. I know you are in part promoting a paid advertisement, but I want to say thank you so much for promoting BetterHelp and actually using it so I could be confident that it was good. And then um, I'm just going to condense this. He he lost a a bunch of people, just a a bunch of deaths in a row, and was, was really struggling. And he writes, uh, I had not had any therapy for a couple of years and was in dire need as I'm at such a low ebb. And I joined BetterHelp and I can't overstate how amazing it's been. Also, as a UK resident, the time you can schedule uh, works really great with the time difference. So I've had my sessions at like 7.30 and 9.30 at night, which is great and makes it feel a little more relaxing. As I've said a couple of times before, I'm so grateful for your show. Talking about my day-to-day life within the BetterHelp sessions has made me realize how healthy my coping mechanisms and mental health strategies are. And a big part of that is lessons learned from your show, along with really good therapy. Um, Love it. Love it. So if you're interested in checking out BetterHelp.com, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental and include the slash metal part so that they know you came from this podcast. And then you can uh, get the ball rolling within 48 hours with a vetted and licensed uh, therapist. They are available globally, licensed in all 50 states in America. And um, 
Highly, highly recommend it. So uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and uh, you can get 10% off your first month of counseling. And uh, here is that episode from 2011 with Eddie Pepitone. Welcome to episode 29 with my guest, Eddie Pepitone. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking, feelings of dissatisfaction, disconnection, inadequacy, and that vague sinking feeling that the world is passing us by. You give us an hour, we'll give you a hot ladle of awkward and icky. Uh, this show is not meant to be a replacement for professional counseling. Uh, this is not a doctor's office. I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes. Think of it more as a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. Uh, before we get to the interview with Eddie, uh, a couple of notes. The website for this podcast is mentalpod.com. That's also the uh, Twitter name you can follow me at. Uh, go to the website. There's a forum. You can uh, email me through there. You can take a survey. You can see how other people respond to the survey. And uh, it's a great way to get to uh, to see that you are not alone and that we really are uh, connected and so much more alike than you, uh, you, you think we are. You can support the show non-financially by uh, going to iTunes and giving us a good rating. That uh, helps boost our ranking and that brings more people to the show. Blah, blah, blah. All right. It has been an interesting week, emotionally and mentally. Um, I went to visit family, which is always uh, always kind of uh, emotionally taxing for me, uh, especially being around my uh, my mom. I'll talk about that uh, later at the uh, at the end of the show after the uh, the Eddie Pepitone interview. Uh, the other thing that was uh, emotionally and, and mentally taxing was while I was out of town, um, I uh, apparently had put up um, the episode with Teresa Strasser with an editing mistake in the introduction to her episode. Um, without going into too much detail, I said something. Uh, I was talking about another person uh, who I interviewed that day who had thrown me for a loop and asked me to edit out stuff because it was too sexually explicit, made me feel creepy, made me feel bad about myself, so I felt compelled to talk about it. Well, in my cutting and editing and not always playing things back, I had left a part out, so it sounded like I was talking about Teresa. Teresa did not ask me to edit anything out from my interview. Uh, from her interview, and anybody that knows her knows that that would be very unlike Teresa, and uh, the email started pouring in saying, why would Teresa ask you to edit anything out? She's so open and honest, and she talks about everything in her book. Yeah, well, um, I realized that when I went back and listened to it um, on the road. I've since fixed it. Um, the, the episode with the fixed intro is now up on, on iTunes. Apologies to Teresa um, for that. She was very confused, uh, as were a lot of people. And um, her episode was such such an amazing uh, episode. Um, it's the only, uh, so far it's been the only episode of this show where I've broken down and started crying while I was editing it together. It was just where she talked about that moment when she called her dad and she was getting ready to take her own life because she just couldn't handle the pain anymore. Um, uh, you know, her ability to be honest about that um, 
touched not only me, but it touched a lot of listeners. And I got this, this email the next day from a woman named Missy who writes, I just wanted to thank you for having Teresa Strasser on your show. Like her, I was at the end of my road, and listening to her talk about the fact that her father would never be okay with her not being here stopped me in my tracks. I've been preparing to end my life, and hearing her say that made me realize that my mom would never be okay with my plans. I sat down and cried like she did, and have decided not to take my life. I'm not sure what to do, but at least I will be alive for the rest of my journey out of misery, if there is one. If you could let Teresa know how she helped me, I would appreciate it. Well, I immediately let Teresa know. Um, I forwarded her the email, and uh, she and I had a flurry of emails back and forth, basically talking about how lucky we feel to have had our pain benefit other people. And if there's one message, I am happy this, this podcast gets across. It's that keeping our pain locked up inside of us and never sharing it in a healthy way um, not only makes our lives more difficult, but we deprive other people of the knowledge that they're not alone. So thank you, Missy. And uh, I just feel really, really lucky to uh, have been chosen by the universe to, uh, to do this show. Uh, you know, the, the decision to, to commit suicide, to me, is the ultimate example of how time, the perception of time, can distort uh, reality and the truth. Because what what is suicide but uh, a reaction to the belief that things are never going to get better, and that we know how the universe is going to unfold and it's not going to be good. And uh, Eckhart Tolle, who you guys know uh, that listen to the show, know I love uh, his writing and his book, uh, A New Earth, really has changed my life. There's so many profound things, in it, and I'd just like to uh, to read uh, a little bit about what he says about time. He says, time is the horizontal dimension of life, the surface uh, layer of reality. Then there is the vertical dimension of depth, accessible to you only through the portal of the present moment. Well, that's that's easier said than done, but I can tell you this much. On the on the d- few days when I'm able to stay out of the past and the future and just be in the present moment, have my feet exactly, have my head exactly where my feet are and be focused on whatever it is right in front of me, um, that fear falls away and the feeling that I'm going to be okay comes through. And uh, that's where I want to be at. And... Uh, I hope that makes sense. And if it doesn't, go fuck yourself. Everybody I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand you. Yes, awful. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with uh, my friend Eddie Pepitone. Uh, I've uh, I always like to start off by saying how long I've so- known somebody, where I know them from. Uh, I've known you since we did a show at the UCB about called the Red State Raiders. It was a political satire right. uh, show with uh, Matt Besser. Matt Besser created it. Um, Matt what? Matt Walsh. Uh, Andy Daly, Ian right. Roberts directed it. It was an all-star cast Michael there. Bush. Um, who else was in it? Um, 
you know, that's part of my mental illness is yeah. uh, memory yeah. for me. I, I don't know what it is. I think I have basically emotional memory mm-hmm. because that was kind of an even-keeled experience. And I don't remember even-keeled things. Do you know what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah. I know I, because I have friends who who are amazing at at, at uh, remembering. Uh, you know, this actor was in this. This was in this. And and another amazing block I have is I have no idea what years things happen. This right. has kind of freaked me out recently. A lot of my friends know the chronology of their lives. I. I have a really bad sense of that. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what that is. I think it's feeling, you know, I have a lot of anxiousness and I think it doesn't allow me to um remember things. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it because you're so uh this is my dime store theory, but you're so uh filled with anxiety during the moment that you don't fully absorb the moment because your your mind is always halfway somewhere else. Yes. Is that possible? That is possible, too. And I'm going to go ahead and write that up, see if I can't get some grant money to uh, continue that, and then write that, into a, write that into a thesis. <laughs> Either that or... Uh, hey, who's this Gil Martin guy with this theory, Al? <laughs> well, throw him a couple of grand, but no more. I mean, it's it seems like it's been done. People uh, would know you, I think, probably most recognizably as one of the uh, pledges in old school. Is that what you get recognized mostly from? Uh, not really. No. What? What? What do people no. mostly recognize? You know, you from? I, I think the mo- the two most things I get are uh, it's been changing because of the internet. Uh, mm. But uh, our Sarah Silverman show, uh-huh. uh, where I was a regular, semi regular, okay. and uh, last comic standing, believe it or not, which oh, is a, right. is a show I did not care for. Uh, but uh, I did it twice to to get some exposure, and uh, people remember me. The, I was on the first season of Last Comic Standing, and I can't believe I made such an impression. Impression. I wish I had better management. You, you do. You do make an impression on uh, on people. You are <laughs> a. You. Oh yeah, absolutely, and 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 a good one. You're you're. Um, how would I how would I describe you? Um, Be volatile here. in a loving way. <laughs> Uh, the most you're the most lovely volatile person that i know your your volatility is never it's usually self-directed that that's one of one of the things that i that that i like about you um there's many things that i like about you but uh there's um i don't know there's an honesty uh, to you when you know one of the reasons uh when i ask people to come be best guests on the uh, the the Mm -hmm. podcast is i'm always looking for somebody that that a has some type of anxiety or battle in their head and you and I talk all the time about stuff yeah. like that so I you know I knew that was a that was a no-brainer but but they have to be able to articulate it and be able to be kind of uh, I don't know brutally honest about things about themselves yeah. those, that, well, that's what makes a great guest for me and 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 I've always known you as having those those three things well I've cultivated that because of stand-up like yeah. I, I am that type of stand-up I'm, I'm not uh, a good one-linery type of writer right my stand-up just comes out of my my angst yeah it's it's uh very strikes me as very cathartic because it just comes it, yeah. pouring out of you uh so, you know how i know it's cathartic when i 
I've got it down to this. If I don't perform for three nights, I actually get depressed. Really? I, and, I've got, and I've gotten better because I used to have to perform almost every night. Yeah. And maybe three or four nights. Maybe I'm up to four nights where, where I don't have to perform. But um, it used to be I take a couple of nights off. And I guess because I wasn't getting my craziness out and getting some kind of validation too, yeah, yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, mm. You're you're from uh, where? New York. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Um, at the age of nine, my dad moved I us. You were saying I was born at the <laughs> age of nine. I was like, I was kept in an incubation. Uh, <laughs> pod until nine i my dad didn't want to release me no uh i I was born in brooklyn and at nine we moved to staten island which was the country to my dad another borough of uh, new york that was actually kind of rural but it only lasted a couple of years and then i was stuck in staten island which is kind of a cultural wasteland and then i moved out of staten island and lived all over new york city until I, i i escaped and and got to la at the age of uh i think it was 41 mm hmm and what was uh, what was your family like? Uh, my mother, unfortunately, very sweet um, and gentle, but very depressed. My mom was clinically depressed. Um, I, I believe she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and um, she actually went through some of the horrible stuff because it was back in... I think the late fifties, early sixties, electroshock. She went through very briefly. Yeah. Although I guess that can do good sometimes. Well, you know, uh, I I don't know. I thought it was universally um, thought to be barbaric. They Uh, still uh, do it today. I think it's uh, as as a kind of a last resort. Um, That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. You know what I realized about mental illness? I was uh, just just not to get away from my family, but I was at the supermarket here, Ralph's, the other day. And there was a big guy who was obviously had lost it a little bit. And people don't know what to do with people who were untethered. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? No one wants to grab them physically. There's all kind, you know, it's just a strange thing. There was a guy last night, uh, I was hanging out with a a group of people. And this guy wandered in, and it was a semi-public place. And this guy wandered in and... This person sitting next to me said, oh, that guy's mentally ill. Uh, He lives in the neighborhood. And he sat down and people just started, people who didn't know he was mentally ill, I could see them getting up and moving away from this guy. And apparently he had just farted really loudly. And then he would just get up and he would walk across the room to complete strangers and go to, and and go to shake their hand. And, uh, Yeah, it is started, amazing he, he how scaring scared people. Because yeah. yeah. um, you don't know is this is this is this the sweet, lovable uh, guy that wouldn't hurt a fly, or is this guy going to go get a butcher knife? Yeah, you, you, you don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So That's just to just thing. to hedge my bets, I beat the shit out of. Him. <laughs> you took matters into your own hands. I had to. Well, you probably have a life coach who tells you to be proactive. No, it's funny. Uh, some some people uh, actually escorted this guy out of the room because he he started. Where to, was it? He started to, to to freak people. I was just a gathering of uh, of friends, support group. Oh, okay, and uh, mm, mm. yeah, yeah, man, it's it, it's 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 strange how people uh, are so scared. 
mm-hmm. of uh, people who aren't abiding by the normal rules of behavior. I, so yeah. I grew up with that kind of stuff, though. My mom also was uh, was one of the first, not one of the first, but she was at the beginning of uh, you know all these uh, pharmaceuticals, like at the beginning of. Um, some pharmaceuticals. Oh, is this when they would throw Valium and stuff at depression? Um, I think she had that, but she uh, had, you know, I wish I could remember what, it, but, but but my mom was on, oh, Lithium. She, yeah. yeah. And I, and they I, still use that. They still use oh, yeah. Lithium, right? Yeah, I think. What's the word on Lithium? Um, I, I think Lithium is, is used mostly as a level, leveler for people that are bipolar. And, and she was, bi- she was yeah. e- they, they either called her bipolar or manic depressive. Is there a difference? I think it's the same thing. <laughs> I like that I right. do a podcast on mental illness and I don't, <laughs> and I don't know any of, uh, uh, for sure, any but, of, any of the, that stuff. But I'll tell you, it was, it was, it was a rough, it was, it was rough because I'll never forget you know, my mom was just um, uh, checked out a lot of the time because of the depression. And, and, and I'm still, and now I'm in therapy and I'm dealing with how angry I am. That she wasn't there. That it was yes. just the body was there. And Yes. Yeah. I'm still fucking furious over this. Uh, furious at the universe or furious at her or furious at yourself? Uh, oh, well, that, that's, that, that, it, it, it all intertwines. I mean, um, I, I, I am not furious. I don't think I'm furious at her as much because she died um, uh, five or six years ago. Mm. And uh, it's hard to be furious. It's, and that's another thing. It was really hard to be furious at my mom because the way it would go is I would get angry and then she would be, instead of, you know, having, you know, me having someone to fight with, she would, you know, check out of that as well and act very hurt. And so it was a real manipulative thing, You man. think she was consciously kind of manipulative? Well, it? you know what? Um, I, 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 it felt that way to you. Yeah, it, it felt real frustrating that yeah. here I am, someone probably with legitimate rage that this person wasn't there. My mother. Never mind this person. Yeah. It was my mother. Yeah. And uh, and then I would get angry and she would, you know, be like, leave me, Eddie, leave me. You know, and it just breaks my, all of it breaks yeah. my heart. You know what I mean? All of it just breaks it's my like- heart. And it's the reason I'm a comedian. Hmm. Because uh, the only way to deal with that is either to kill yourself or, uh, you know, have a very... Or get, or get a tight 10 together and take it on the road. <laughs> either way, there's killing is going to happen, right? You're either going to kill other people with your act. No, I mean, I think gonna... it really does. It really uh, is about me wanting attention. I mean, I am like the classic. I've realized. I've realized this. I am the classic. Uh, comedian in that sense is that I fucking am desperate for attention. What is the thing you, you said something about a, t- a tweet? Or did, was it a joke that you have about? Uh, oh, I 20- was it about my shrink? Where I say uh, one, one of my tweets was uh, my shrink committed suicide today. Yes, I win. <laughs> that wasn't it, but that's a great one. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, you were you made some really honest joke about needing the validation of people retweeting you or something. 
Oh yeah. And I just Oh yeah. I was just just another reason to love Eddie. That Hey, that, sometimes just, that honesty on stage freaks people out. People don't want that exposed. But, but that's what's ma- what makes you you on stage. And you work mm. you work quite a bit. You're uh you're well, you're in demand and I always see you on people's shows. I see you on TV constantly. shows here and there. Apparently, I didn't see you on the two things that you're most that right? well known for, Sarah yeah. Silverman and, and the other thing. But I, old I don't school, watch. I don't get that much because I really was kind of a background guy. Oh, okay. You know, in that, even though I, but you I, were in a lot of scenes. In it. I was in a lot of scenes, and it was really a, a, a cool experience. It's what it's what brought me out to L.A. Uh, you know, just being in that movie and and uh, way way back up. Yeah, you came out here to do that movie. Yeah. No way. Yeah, because... I just assumed you'd been here for... No, not for at all. I, I, I uh, was hanging out, of course, with the UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York, and uh, one of the co-writers of Old School is Scott Armstrong, and he's mm-hmm. co-written stuff with Todd Phillips. Uh, and uh, he just said, hey, uh, we, have, we would like you to be one of the guys in the fraternity. Would you be into that? And I'd be like... And I was like, would I? Yeah. It's the whole reason you get into show business is for that somebody to ask you that kind of question. Hey, could yeah. I put you in a movie? Who says no to that? Yeah, but he was like, you know, and people always do this. It's a small part. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I've never been able to go, well, you know what? Fuck you then. Right. I, I want to get to that point where I just go around, you know, really brandishing my mental illness. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Yeah. No, there's only seven scenes with me in it. <laughs> and I'm not prominent. I've been reading the old Hollywood uh, uh, biographies of people, and they it's just insane what goes on. Yeah. Egos. Yeah. I had somebody call me one time that was doing a movie, and it was kind of a self-finance thing, and they called me, and uh, they said, hey, and I knew that they were doing this movie, and my original uh, co-host on Dinner in a Movie was Annabelle, was, yeah, was in this her. movie, and so I was like, oh, they're going to ask me to be in the movie, and they thought it would be cool just for the inside joke that I'm a background extra in this thing and for it just an hurt inside my joke and it just hurt my feelings so badly because I was like I'm sorry I just can't I didn't say this to them I said you know I I can't make it but the thought of sitting in the background as an extra at a restaurant while my co-host was yeah. one of the stars of this thing just uh, I don't How know are that, you now with uh, ego I know that's a general question. I still struggle with it because even when things are going good, mm-hmm. like this, this, this podcast is, a, is an example of something that is creatively really good and, and in my opinion, mm-hmm. kind of pure and comes from a good place and, and, and feels like it's the right place for me to be. My ego is constantly trying to get its little barnacles on it and worry about the popularity of it oh, and God. this and that. Well, and we live in such an age of where it can be monitored so quick, like with yeah. the counting. Yeah. The counting. Yeah. How many followers do you have? How many downloads do you have? Yeah. And in so many ways, that's the enemy of of Creativity. Art. But, yeah. But it's also what drives us. So maybe we wouldn't do it if we didn't know that there would be counting involved. I, I don't know about that. I, I mean... Would, you would never do comedy if, if nobody, you know, showed up at a, at a comedy club. But I guess that's right. different than counting because right. you need, we need their laughter. Right, right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but would yeah. you can would you consistently show up to a comedy club where you were guaranteed there was only going to be two people? Because <laughs> you're still no, giving, I, you're still giving people something, right? Yeah, big time. No, I mean we need people to fucking hear what we do, right. man. Yeah, you know, big time. But I want to go back to when you were when you were growing up and you had this depressed mm. mom. Um, mm. What? How would that that kind of? What was a typical day like? Was she just lay in bed all day and you would? That was the saddest thing. Um, yeah. Um, by the way, and then the dynamic, and just to round out the dynamic, my dad, my mom, Jewish, mm-hmm. Russian, German, Jew, and my dad, Sicilian. So, you know, the Italian. You got the guilt coming from both angles. Big time. Was he, was he Catholic? Uh, they weren't overtly religious in any way, but his parents were... You it's know. seeped into your pores. It doesn't matter. Even if, exactly. Even, even if you don't go, exactly. it's, just, it's just, it's in your code. Exactly. You know, if you're Catholic, the Pope has harmed you in some way. <laughs> <laughs> Vatican City's a country, you know. I just found yeah. that out. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, my, so anyway, juxtapose, you know, because my mom was checked out and bipolar, it was very, very um, frustrating for my dad, who then... And this this was rough. He put all his emotional eggs in me. I, I had oh, I have really? one sister, older, younger. She is younger. Um, she is uh, a lawyer and doesn't talk to me. And that's another collateral. That that happened you got all about dad's attention. No, 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 no. Um, we just had a major falling out around my mom's death. Um. I, yeah, and uh, it was fucking intense. Like, uh, just to fight the family dynamic because my mom, here's how, you know, what happened. My mom checked out, and so my dad puts all his emotional eggs in a basket, and he was, like, just so too involved with me, you know, like, you know, like uh, my grades and, you know, for company and, and that kind of thing. And, and, what do you um, mean for company? Uh, well, he company? didn't like me leaving. He didn't like me leaving to go out and hang out with my really? buddies when I was, um, uh, you know, 13, 14, that kind of thing. Very kind of like, well, he, hey, you know. He wanted you in the prison with him. Yes. Man, I've had a lot of work. I love my dad, I, and, I, and I talk to him a lot, and I'm, and I'm going home uh uh in in a few days to uh to hang out with him he's getting up there he's like 77 by the way i i i that's you know my memory's so bad i don't know when my mom died i'm not sure how old my dad is i don't know if i should be laughing at that you know i yeah. and, and i've been told you know and i i just i just never fucking remember but my dad i think is 77 uh but yeah he was uh hyper hyper critical of me growing up and he your dad was, was yeah and then wanted you to be his buddy yes so that had to feel really awkward because a you didn't want to be in the house because your mom is there in a in a bummed out mood and yeah did you not feel safe around your dad emotionally because he had a history of being hypercritical uh yeah i mean and my dad also could be uh my dad also had like sicilian operatic anger 
as well you know they're my dad loved what was opera. his key range of his uh of his <laughs> anger could he hit a, could he hit a high c in uh, anger i could give you an example where are my keys it was always about his goddamn keys yeah and glasses where are my glasses? you know what's really fucked up too I, I don't know if you have this experience but i have this incredible dread come over me because i am now in, in a monogamous relationship living with uh uh, my girlfriend and I catch myself being just like my dad. Like in what way? I- I'll be like, honey, where's my glasses? Like, where did you see my keys? I am looking for the same things that my dad did. A- and also my temper, too, yeah. sometimes in my relationship. My temper is like I have flash anger. And mm-hmm. my dad did, too. And And I'm always like, oh, my God. Have I become mm-hmm. my dad, you know? But yeah, when I was a kid, um, I, I swear to God, I, I don't even um, remember that much the real young ages, except that it was scary. It was scary because my mom wasn't there to protect me, and my dad was a loose cannon. I luckily survived my grandmother and my grandparents, my dad's grandparents, my Italian grandparents were so lovely. And they, they, they took care of me in a lot of ways. You know, when I would go over there, I felt like my grandmother was like my maternal figure. I I, I was able, my dad, I always wondered why my dad was so fucked up because I loved his parents. Right. They seemed so, and I don't know if it's that thing because it's once removed, you know, there's, there's that perfect, you know, removal. It's like, you're not, you know, whereas the parents, you know, are too, too critical when they're too close, blah, 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 but. So it was isn't scary. It, it was scary growing up in that. You isn't know? it funny how sometimes the, the I, I should just say that I, there's been so many guests on the on the podcast who were abandoned by both parents, and by the both. thing that wound up saving them was some other relative yeah. or a sibling. But yeah. a lot of times it was a grand a grandparent. You know the way families are now. I mean. Uh, I, I'm not a great student of history, but it used to be extended families would raise children. Mm-hmm. Extended family, and I understand the, the the wisdom in that because there's so much pressure now on people raising their kids without the help of you know family around them. Yeah. It, it's it's. I mean, I never. And by the way, because of the way I grew up, I have never had kids. I'm 52. I feel a little bad about that lately. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been feeling a little bad yeah. about that. You remember the scene in Into the Wild where Hal, Hal Holbrook is talking to the kid? Do you mm-hmm. remember that? He's yeah. like, look, I got no one. I, I, want, I want you to be my son. I, I feel like I'm going to be Hal Holbrook with some <laughs> fucking waif, like some waif running through Los Angeles, and I'll be at the end of my comedy thing, and I'll just have him in you know, my Mini Cooper going, look, <laughs> I, I never had anybody. <laughs> It'll probably be James Franco or some shit. <laughs> I so get that. Uh, I, I I have it. Well, you know what? Maybe this a good. This would be a good place to uh, to do the fear off. Uh, I'd like to see the Kardashians the li- do a fear the off. The listeners. Uh, I would imagine the Kardashians. One of their fears is uh, not having constant attention. Yes. <laughs> 
Is that a is that a leap of logic to uh, to get there? <sighs> so the uh, people that are new to the show, uh, the fear off is my guest and I trade uh, fears until one of us runs out. And because I've listed probably over a hundred fears, I don't have that already. But I I'll, I'll I listed some, but I'll come. You up can with- improvise some. Um, but these have to be things that, that we genuinely have anxiety about, thoughts uh, uh, um, that we have anxiety about. And because I've done so many of my fears, uh, I go uh, and use some of the listeners' fears that, that, that they've sent in. Uh, Bastard. Yeah, because I've drained uh, some of my supply. But, I, but I've still got a bunch here. Um, so I'll kick it off. Uh, I, I'm afraid that I'm annoying past female guests by asking them to help me find future female guests. And one might even wish she had never agreed to do the podcast because I'm so annoying and needy. <laughs> that is such a specific fear. Yeah. <laughs> the ocean. Yeah. For me. Is it? I am so scared. I, I've I've kind of a little bit gotten over it, but just uh, the immensity and the unknown yeah. in the ocean. And I have a huge fear of drowning uh, yeah. in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, currents. I, I recently I, I went to Nantucket a few years ago, and uh, was there a guy blowing himself? <laughs> Is that I, in a limerick? A, there has, there's been a rumor <laughs> flying around about this gentleman and his long penis that I have been trying to get to the bottom of. So go ahead. You're there's in a lot Nantucket. of money in Nantucket. You're um, in Nantucket. No, and and uh, and it was a thing where I, I went out swimming and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I started to swim in and I couldn't. Oh, swim there. in. I've been there. The current wouldn't let me swim. Rip, riptide. In. Yeah. It wouldn't let me. And I what happens to me is I immediately get warm with fear. Mm-hmm. Prickly. I think that's called urine. <laughs> <laughs> I had already urinated yeah. like crazy. I yeah. that's why I go in the ocean. Yeah. You know. Uh no, but like just that intense. Uh-huh. You feel the blood. I was shift. put on medi- medication for panic attacks yeah. many years ago, yeah. so that felt like a, that was like whoa, panic, like intense panic. So feel like I'm, I feel like I'm going to die in yeah. the ocean. Is so how fear. did you? How did you make your way in? You just fought it. You know what? Yes. Um, and here's and another classic thing is my friends where I was screaming to them. To help and they and thought, it's so hard because you're out of breath also and plus you know you think you're closer than you are mm-hmm. but they couldn't hear and they were just looking at me waving oh. and you're flailing and they're like boy eddie really loves to wave doesn't he and then i don't know what happened there must have been a break in the riptide and i was able to kind of get in but i was like when, when and then once i hit land mm-hmm. i am like jesus christ why did i panic that much because they tell you just to kind of go with it, you know? Yeah. If you go parallel to the beach. Parallel, that's what they say. You'll yeah. get out of there. Because the riptides are usually at the most maybe 10, 20 yards wide. Right. And, and there's the thing that I don't have the wherewithal to do stuff like that. Yeah. Because once the panic hits me, yeah. I am the idiot who fucks things up for everybody. If I was in a group situation... Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy in the movies yeah. who is like, no, why is Al? No, Al, don't do that. You're not, you're supposed to go parallel. Bullshit, bullshit. That'd be me. I, I know that feeling though. I, uh, I was about 20 something years old and uh, my family, we were vacationing in Mexico 
and uh, it was just kind of this remote beach, and and I think I might have even been by myself, but there was, I remember there was nobody kind of around, and I was about 15 yards into the water, and the waves were, the waves were like head high, and I'm swimming, and I'm swimming, and I'm swimming, and I'm not getting any closer, and so I'm putting everything I have into it, and I'm starting to freak out, and then the waves are crashing on top of me, and I'm losing my breath, and... Ooh, some, I'm getting nervous just hearing the story. Somehow I made my way to the beach and I would just remember collapsing, breathing as hard as I could and just shaking violently, just violently shaking. Right. And then masturbating. You yeah. just described my, my adolescence. <laughs> shaking violently, then masturbating. <laughs> that was, you know, a large part of my life. I was kidding, were you? <laughs> Not really. No. Oh, man, did I masturbate a lot? I think yeah. my fear, I don't know where if you yeah. talk about this shit. Oh, I'm shit, sorry, but we get off on the fear off, but we'll get back to it after this thought. What? Uh, what, what no, what I mean, this? just the intensity of my fucking masturbation mm-hmm. as a troubled kid. Yeah. You know, I would masturbate till I, my cock was bleeding. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was a big, you know, uh, it was a big... How many times a day would you... Um, was it multiple times a day? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think that's that's normal for oh, okay. teenage kids. I did, I did it once or twice a day. Oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then here's another fear for me. Uh, where do you go? Uh, I go. Okay. I go now. Um, and we don't have to comment uh, on each one as we do it, unless you, you fe- unless you feel like it needs okay. an elaboration. Yeah. Or or you have a question about mine, or I have a question okay. about yours, because sometimes it makes it drag on too long. Got it. Um, I feel that I will never feel inspired uh, again and everything will be an effort. Uh, I feel like there, every time I hear footsteps uh, near my apartment door, I think someone is going to uh, get into my house and beat me to death. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, I'm afraid that I will start looking at pornography again, especially things that make me feel creepy like Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, uh, I have a tremendous fear of uh, winding up in jail, being arrested for something that I really didn't commit, and just being in jail. I have a tremendous mm-hmm. fear of just being incarcerated. I have a fear that spammers will destroy my uh, website's forum uh, irreparably. I have a fear every time the phone rings in my apartment, I think it's going to be bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm a much worse person than I think I am, and I won't find out until it's too late. Yours correct me up, by the way. I, uh, I have a terrible fear. I have five cats. I have a terrible fear that uh, one of them is going to die uh, abruptly. Wouldn't it be worse if they died a slow, painful death? Yeah, but I mean, what I mean by that is that they're you young. You won't see it coming. Yeah, that they're young and they're, they're going to be taken from me. I'm afraid that I'm underestimating how long my unemployment will last. <laughs> I'm afraid of extreme heat. I get really scared mm. when we have a heat wave. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I mm. can, yeah. but I feel like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't good. Yeah. This isn't, like, that's my, yeah. this isn't good. Um, I'm afraid that I've pushed a close, fr- a close friend away by being a know-it-all. 
I am afraid of getting a heart attack. Constantly mm -hmm. afraid of that. Not constantly. I'm afraid that whenever I think I'm being charming, I'm actually being annoying and exhausting. I'm afraid, so afraid of aging and my body yeah. betraying me yeah. and uh, falling apart. Uh, I'm afraid people will think that I think of myself as a guru. I'm afraid of being beaten to death. I just think that can happen at yeah. any time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're right about that one. <laughs> I'm the guy that just shovels coal into other people's fears. Uh, I'm afraid I will let the nice things people say about uh, the podcast inflate my ego and come to think of myself as uh, being bigger or better or more important than, than I am. I'm afraid that I will not have the energy to exercise and take care of myself in general. I'm afraid mm -hmm. that I will, that I don't have the energy to live a good life. And I think that's related to growing up with depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feeling lethargic and unmotivated. Yeah. I have a great fear of doing what I have to do every day. I just mm -hmm. have a fear of it. Yeah, fear of responsibility. I have a fear of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, I do too. That's a that's a great one. That can be paralyzing. And I think that's connected to, and we've talked about this on the podcast, I think that's connected to perfectionism. That the fear that if we can't do it perfectly, we shouldn't be doing it. And, and I think that really is... Perfectionism a, is such a crippler. It's insidious. It's And what I am learning is to just put uh, one foot literally yeah. on the treadmill because now I've been going to the gym mm. and, you know, I, I feel this anxiety on the way to the gym or thinking yeah. about the gym yes. like, oh, I've got to go to the gym today and it seems like such a burden and I can equate that also with writing. I have yes. such tremendous anxiety with writing mm -hmm. like i love to improvise on stage and that's where most of my comedy comes from but to sit down and to build something whether it's a story a joke or a table mm -hmm. is crippling to me yeah but i've learned i've been learning literally to just put one foot in front of the other you know realize that it's you know i do what i can do mm -hmm. and it's usually okay yeah and sometimes the, the mistakes or what we think of as mistakes in the, in the building or the doing of that is where we learn how to do something better. Exactly. You know, I, I, one of my hobbies is making furniture. And sometimes I'll design a piece of furniture and I'll be halfway into making it and I'll have the afternoon off and I'll be excited at one moment to go in there and build it. Then I'll get this panic that I'm going to ruin it or I'm not going to make the wrong decision about the length or shape of something and I'll have to take a nap and I won't even go oh. in there. Uh, and I'll just... <laughs> now, I was pointing out to Eddie before before we sat down to tape this about three quarters of the furniture in, in our li living room here are, is furniture that I designed and built. And Eddie pointed to a frame uh, across the, the, the room of uh, the Blackhawks having won the, the Stanley Cup and it took me a year, because my depression has been bad, it took me a year just to hang that picture. It sat there, and I would say, i got to hang that picture. You and know, I that couldn't... is an amazing thing. Just to hang a fucking picture 
took a year and I totally relate to that. Like right now, this is similar, is that I'm supposed to fax, and I have a fax machine in my place, fax two things in for insurance purposes. Yeah. It's oh, been three I weeks. so get that. I so it's get that. It's been three weeks and I am crippled by the fact that I don't know where these papers are. Yes. Oh my God, do I relate to that? Oh my God, do I relate to that? And instead of looking for these papers, yes. they're probably in a couple of spots. They might be in a couple of spots. I am, this is what happens. I, I go, oh my God, they're not right next to my bed. Yes. Where the fuck could they? And then I've got, oh my God. The fear of the wasting of the time of looking for that. And then the worst yes. is on the way to looking for that, you're going to see that something else needs oh. to be done. And before you know it, Four things have been added to your to-do list, and you can't even... You know, even that is a very off. interesting that, that that you just pointed out, that on the way to do something, you see something else has to be done, and that has really hit me lately. Every time I... every I don't know what this is, but every time I go to do something in my apartment, I'm, I'm on... Let's here's, here's just a typical one. I'm going to feed the cats, and on my way to feeding the cats, I'm like, oh, oh, but first, I, I need some soy nuts. I need some protein right now. And like, I, it's like, and there's no soy nuts. Yeah. All, all this kind of shit. Like, like, um, I can never just, I have to consciously will myself. No, just, just feed the, the cats. Yeah. yeah. Feed. And, and that's just a metaphor for everything. Right. Yeah. Just write for an hour. Yeah. Like the idea of me writing for an hour is just monumental. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to go pay the electricity bill. <laughs> there's no pens. <laughs> you know that's so now i've got to go get pens oh there's no gas in the car so now all of a sudden i'm at the gas station all i wanted to do was pay the light bill and i now i still have to fill fill up the you know car what i think is behind and, the whole yeah. thing is right. that we feel like we're wasting our life yes that we're behind the, we're three steps behind the universe to begin with and all this other stuff is just proving to us that we're so much further behind than we think we are. Yeah, it's it's a crazy thing. Like I, I think one fear off biggest fear not enough time. That's a good one. There's not enough time uh, in my life. I am afraid that uh, my dream to write a book will never come true. Mm. I am afraid that I will never reach the level of recognition that I want. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, I'm afraid that I will write a book and it will be awful and I will have wasted my time. By the way, and, th and that's the thing that I understand, and, and you think you hit on it before, is that we have to make mistakes. I've heard from everyone that, you know, your first draft of a book is necessarily horrible or a screenplay. Right. That's another thing because we're out here in LA mm -hmm. and one of the things everybody does is write a screenplay. Yeah. But you have to be willing to write something that is far from perfect. Yeah. And if you're a perfectionist, you're you're screwed. And here's the other the the other thing that I think is the the second barrel of that shotgun that kills you. The <laughs> one barrel is the perfectionism and the other barrel is grandiosity. And the grandiosity, the letdown of writing something that that is not good. I mean, the perfectionism is. I know. I right. think they're they're just by the way. Sides yeah, of the I same think coin. you you totally 
totally because that that hit home, that hits home for me because I have such grandiosity that when I have like a bad set, mm. I that grandiosity gets punctured. And the flip side of grandiosity, what is the flip side? It's um, humility, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's the healthy side of grandiosity. Yeah. But but what happens is that I think, this is what I wanted to get to, is that I think I'm so great. But if I have a bad set that night or a mediocre set, I go from thinking I am the best ever to I am, am the worst ever. Or just a fraud right. that I am kidding myself right. that I am some great comedian. No, 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 no. Mm. You are, you are fucking. If lucky, you're, you're, you're mediocre. You're, you're so deluded. Ha ha. You're yeah. so yeah. fucking yeah. deluded. And I, to me, grandiosity is like even worse than perfectionism because it's like perfectionism mm -hmm. with impatience. You know, you could be a, like if you were a patient perfectionist, that might be livable because you can work your way towards doing something perfectly. You can refine it and refine right. it. But grandiosity, right. you want it perfect at the first try. You expect it to be perfect right out of the gate, and that's so draining. But grandiosity mm. in in your fantasy, grandiosity is so comforting because it tells us we're mm. special. See, that's the thing. That's, you know, mental illness. That is the root, I think, of my mental illness is that I never felt like I was special, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a nurtured way. Right. I never got that. And so now as an adult, I have this intense desire to be extra special. Yeah. And to be, I like basically what I am screaming, and this might be a funny thing to scream on stage in my physical form now at 52, just come on stage and be, I am special. That's hilarious. I am extra special. That's hilarious, Eddie. Yeah, I that's, think that could be. That's great. Really funny. And then folks, maybe, and, and address them like, what were you going to yeah. say? And afterwards say, folks, I just thought it was, it was a time my ego got a little stage time. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually wanted to do a one-man show of a, uh, a blue-collar infant, um, <laughs> which is just I am, you know, you know, a couple of months old, but I'm just like, uh, hey, mommy, mommy. <laughs> like I have a cigar. <laughs> And I'm like, mommy, come on, pay a little attention to me, you know. <laughs> like, and I don't know, I haven't, I haven't developed it yet in my head, but maybe, uh, maybe mommy's management and your labor. <laughs> that's the that's oh, the, without a doubt, you know, that's that's where the tension is. Uh, I'm afraid that an unstable listener will kill me. Oh, I, you know, I have that too. Yeah. Like like a, uh, a fan or, you know. Mm -hmm. I have a fear that I am going to be killed for my political beliefs. Yes, I do too. I do too. I, I fear that uh, there will be a civil war and then they will go through all the stuff that exists now on the internet, take stuff I've said, either in context I feel like or that... out of context, and I will be tortured in a prison. Same here. And um, we're probably not far away from that in this country. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that I will have to get a job that drains my soul. Mm. Boy, do I have that one as well. Uh, I am 
deathly afraid that I am unattractive. Uh, I think everybody fears that one. Oh, well. Um, actually, some people probably don't. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go to a, a tweeter, uh, Danny, mm-hmm. uh, tweets that I'm afraid my son will have migraines regularly now that he has had his first one. Ooh. Yeah. Afraid. You see, we're, we're, we're so protective of, uh, you know, the things we love and the mm-hmm. people. Like, we don't want anything bad to happen. I've been working on, on uh, you know, Buddhist Zen acceptance of things. And uh, there are such, there are so many levels and layers of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just accept life, you know. And uh, I was listening to Ram Dass. I, that, I love to listen to Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, and Ram Dass, and all these, like, big spiritual mm-hmm. thinkers. And Ram Dass said, look, embrace all. And he talks like this, too. He's very soothing to listen to in the iPod when I'm power walking, not to brag in the park. <laughs> and you hear, you hear Ram Dass just going, you know, you got to love it all, not only the death of an infant, but the birth of an infant happens at the same time. The beautiful, playful dolphin and genocide. It's all part of one, you know, like just... That's deep. That's really deep. And and I, I agree. But that's life. It is life. And you have to really, if you're going to totally, totally be in acceptance and really find any lasting sanity or peace, you have to be okay with all of that. That doesn't mean you approve of it. It means That's the trick yes. to not, the Buddhists say, I think they have three things. They say, do not judge, and that's, do not resist. Do not resist anything. Mm-hmm. Do not judge, and I always forget the third one. Yeah. I think it's do brush. Not, do not regular. forget anything. That's the third <laughs> Now, I wonder, would yeah. a Buddhist say, well, th- does that mean you shouldn't resist Hitler? Would they say you, you shouldn't resist Hitler? Or do they mean you shouldn't resist anything you don't have control over? Yes. don't. Re- no, it's like, accept the fact that Hitler exists. And that, I think this is and, what it, what and it and is. do what work you can and that, yes. to stop him. Yes, exactly. But if he puts you in a concentration camp and you can't escape, accept the fact that you are in that concentration camp and make the best of it and see how you can be a Yeah, and by the man. way, and by the way, this line of thinking that you're doing right now is what keeps me from accepting anything. I'm serious because I'm meditating. You want to fear off again. I am afraid that I am meditating wrong and that I am wasting my time. Um, and that line of thought about do I accept evil? Like it keeps me from accepting anything because if I accept everything, then I'm accepting, you know, vicious, evil people and vicious, evil acts and atrocities. And I don't want to accept that. No, I don't think, I think you accept the evil that you can't control. And right, right. I think that is a sane thing to do. An insane thing to do is to think that you can change something that you have no control over. I think you mm-hmm. I think to keep your sanity you also have to work towards stopping evil. Put your effort into making the world a better place, but then let go of the results. Right. Of what well, happens. I, I think the Buddhists always say too is that uh peace 
in the world starts with you mm-hmm. because I'm very aware of my anger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in, in LA, especially driving, like I can be such an angry guy in the car and do unkind things like beep, yell out the window. Like, mm-hmm. like I contribute to the aggressiveness and the crap that is out there. And so what they say is, no, 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 fix that. Yeah. When you fix that, then you will be helping the world. Right. Like people that that go to, you know, the stereotypical actor that goes to India to become more <laughs> spiritual. I, 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 <laughs> You're talking about me, Richard Gere? It makes me laugh because mm-hmm. to me... You know, that if you want to call it a journey or whatever to be more spiritual, that starts with letting the person in front of you in traffic on the way to the airport to go to India. You know, there's a a (laughs) hundred things that you could do before you even get to the airport to go to India to do that, that could last a lifetime. Well, I think that's that comes under the heading of you can do it right now. Like Mm -hmm. everybody, like we people are like, no, no, I'll get enlightened when. Right. I'll get enlightened when I'm in India. Yeah. I'll get enlightened when I finally get the gig that will give me enough money to relax to get enlightened. Yeah, it's insanity <laughs> to think that something externally is going to bring there you enlightenment. I, I think enlightenment has to come from an inner acceptance of what is and a commitment to principles. Yeah. But you know what's hard about that is to do that, you have to stop lying to yourself. That's yes. what I've realized. Yes. Like, I have to stop lying to myself about the fact that I have more money than I have. For instance, right. I, have to ex- I have to have the courage. It takes a lot of courage to yes. accept what is. Yes. Like, I have to have the courage to accept that, oh, I don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Just accept that on that level. But if you can accept that you're okay with the amount of money that you have, right? it's easier to accept. But if... Buried deep in your head is this belief that I will not be okay if I don't have X amount of money. Then mm-hmm. it makes it impossible to accept that you will be okay with whatever. So if you can get mm-hmm. to a place where you can accept your worst fears, picture your worst fears and accept yeah. them coming true and yeah. know that you can find a place in there to, to find peace and joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I've realized I, I, is that my what I have realized is that my fears are all in my imagination. You know that old Mark Twain quote, which is, "There have been bad things in my life, and some have actually happened." And yes, and 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 what 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 he means by that is that they're in our fucking head. Yeah. Like if I can just be here, I mean, like right now, me and you are on these you know couches, and yeah. you know we're surrounded by imperfect furniture. Yeah. And uh, that you made, and we're we're fine. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, the the uh, my one of my previous guests, uh, Paula Newman, the woman the woman that taught me uh, meditation, she has a great quote quote that um, if life is one hundred percent, one percent of it is the event, and ninety nine percent of it is us obsessing about how that event relates to us, and yeah. that just how distorted. Our perception of how things affect us are. You know, in reality, it's... You know what I realize is that I'm really afraid to let go of my ego. I'm really afraid to just, you know, let go of 
this this part of me that wants to be recognized and someone because then I'll feel like well, well, well hold it what what is what you know I just otherwise what do I have to look forward to what other to than that dream to, or or I don't want to be someone who's just you know just another person you know I want to be but what's the matter special but what's the matter and, and and I get it I totally understand that I've occasionally gotten to a place where I'm okay with being one of many and the idea that that I will maybe die not being special not being written about not being remembered by anybody other than close friends and and I've had moments where I'm completely at peace with that and it's such a beautiful place to be and then somehow I get out of it and I got get back into I don't have enough Twitter followers. I'm a piece of shit. Uh, yeah. My show was canceled. I'm a joke. I haven't planned for the future. I'm fucked. I'm not going to have health insurance. I'm going to be in a rickety wheelchair begging for money, and people are going to go, oh, my God, that's the guy that used to be on dinner in a movie. <laughs> and then I'm sitting in the living room staring at the wall, unable to hang the Blackhawk picture. I'm not kidding, Eddie. No, I know you're not kidding, and I am laughing out of complete recognition. And I also just finished W. Fields' biography, and Fields. I like and, that you dropped the C in his name because you don't have time. W. C. Fields. Yeah. You, what did I say? W. Fields. Did I? <laughs> you got. You're you're behind. I just read. You're a behind the eight ball. I you just read a 500 page book on W. C. Fields, and uh, the the last couple of pages I read last night. He maybe would. that's why you're behind in doing all the things you're reading. Five hundred page biographies on W. I love that. I love there's, the old Hollywood. N- stars. And there's nothing better than a good bio- biography. Last night, I was like, I'm going to get some work done. All of a sudden, I see that there's a, a documentary on Spencer Tracy, who I don't even give a shit about. Next thing I know, I'm eating macaroons at two in the morning, watching a documentary <laughs> on Spencer Tracy and loving it. Yeah. So go ahead. You're, you're reading this thing about W.C. Fields. Oh, well, and he, you know, you just told me your fears. And Fields was uh, dying of cirrhosis in, Pasad- in Pasadena, in, in, in a home in Pasadena. Here's a brilliant, vibrant, you know, genius comedian. Mm. And he was visited that day by another brilliant guy, a guy named Tully, who was a great vaudevillian, whatever. And it was related by the woman who used to take care of Fields. And there were two women in there who were younger, and they were—they both knew these guys' life stories. Mm-hmm. And Fields and Tully were incapacitated in wheelchairs, and they couldn't speak. But the women were, were like, telling the anecdotes for them, and they would just kind of nod. And I was just thinking of how life goes, that, you know, we all will die you know now now fields wound up in that state because he he drank too much yeah he, he just didn't take care of himself you know yeah. well, but he was incapacitated in a rickety, rickety wheelchair you yeah. know uh let's use this as a segue i'm gonna i'm gonna mm. uh, say that you uh you win that 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 fear off <laughs> really okay yeah because uh I like we, to win. we uh yeah you did a you did a a, a good okay a good job. Uh, I had a pretty pretty long list of my fears, and uh, you outlasted me, and you you made me go into the listener fears. So uh, 
I knew my fears would come in handy yeah, one day. They do. They do. Um, but I wanted to switch gears mm-hmm. and talk about uh, addiction because we were just okay. talking about, about that. So I figured this would be a good time to, uh, to talk about that. Uh, you mm-hmm. used to, you, you've been uh, off drugs and alcohol now for how long? Uh, well, I am now off of drugs and alcohol for 16 months, but mm-hmm. I was off them for seven years. And then I went back. To smoking pot. I'm a, I, I love pot. Mm-hmm. And I went back uh, and I then... Then what, what made you then stop again? I would get panic attacks. Started getting panic, attack, panic attacks every time I smoked. But I think what was really going on was that I was like, if I keep smoking pot uh, the way I smoke it, I will never make anything out of my life. What I'm doing is I am not honoring my gift. I am not honoring the gift I have, you know, the God-given gift of being someone who can really, you know, take the pain of life and turn it into something to laugh at. Because that's the gift of a comedian, is that, I mean, that, that, that is why I think comedians are Really, I mean, comedians to me, maybe comedians and music are the you know most important things in life. You hear, oh, you have to have a sense of humor to get through life. And so m- what was going on with me was that I was smoking so much, I was not uh, letting my gift live. And I, and I was really panicked about that. Mm-hmm. So I quit. But I have an, an um, I am such an addictive person. Mm-hmm. I am such an. I'm just laughing because I have 16 months clean. My latest addiction mm-hmm. is frozen grapes. I put green and red grapes in the freezer. Yeah. But I don't eat them like a normal person. Right. I take them out and I fucking just one after the other because I'm a pleasure. You know, addiction yeah. to me, addiction to me is all about take me to a state of pleasure. That's all it is for me. It's like, take me to a state of pleasure. Green, gray. And and at the very least, take me out of this state that I'm in. (laughs) Yes. I mean, who wants to go to a, you know, of course, take me to a better state, ultimately a a state of pleasure. But sometimes, you know, for people, like people who drinking stops stops working for, but they still continue to drink. It's still better than the state that they're in, in that tortured state of insanity. I'll never forget when I tried to quit pot when I was younger. I'll never forget. I had like, um, like I didn't smoke for a couple of days and I'll never forget being on a corner in New York City, like in Midtown going, being so depressed. I had stopped for two days smoking pot and I was a big smoker and I'll never forget the thought of, oh my God, is this what it feels like to not be smoking? Yeah. Screw this. Yeah. I'm going back to smoking. So for me, what's great right now is that I feel so good most of the time, most of the time about being, uh, you know, not high. I just I think, yeah, I think it gives you a chance to be more human. Totally. I'm really into that lately. Yeah. Even with the anxiety I'm feeling. Right. Like I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. I've, I've recently stopped Prozac. I was on Prozac for about 15 years. And uh, I, I always kind of like Prozac was great when I first went on it. I'll never forget when I first went on Prozac. I know I'm going all over the place. But when, oh, I first, when I first went on Prozac, I, I'll never forget how energized I was. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the answer. This is what my brain was missing. Because for the first month, I, was, I started jogging. I started writing. I was, but then what happens, at least for me, was that then you level off and, 
you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't feel particularly any better than I, than I was. And then I get it into my head that, wait a minute, this Prozac is, you know, keeping me from being all I can be. Like, this is the kind of thought process, you mm -hmm. know? But anyway, uh, I've had a tough time uh, being off it. Uh, I've been off it. I think I talked to you about this. I've been off it now for about three or four months, and I've had, I think I'm past the worst of it, but just this feeling. Sometimes of, it can take up to six months until you feel what it's like to really be off it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. not good. Yeah, I didn't know. Because I, I was feeling just, sometimes just a, horrible sense of doom that's how i would put it like mm -hmm. like just get up and just just f literally feel this physical weight yeah but i've kind of gotten through that a lot and i'm and and what what i wanted to relate back to you know not you know getting high right now is that i'm just kind of digging being uh you know off of everything and being in my life and and feeling like this is this is good because you know, I kind of live for being funny. I kind of live for, uh, you know, making people laugh. And 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 I I just since I have no kids, I kind of my my kids are my creations that I do like my my funny creations mm -hmm. that I do. And I feel very. Um, I love that piece that you did on YouTube about you, uh, uh, the the mountaineering guy. But you're just oh yeah, but yeah. you're just climbing Griffith Park and run you, in, in run the run you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got like that the one, oxygen tank. On. You know, and there's a yeah. great example uh, yeah. of feeling good about things because that one best short in the Burbank Film Festival, and mm -hmm. we're going, and me and Karen, who wrote it, my girlfriend Karen Simmons, we're, we're uh, going tonight to get an award. You know, but um. Uh, where can people uh, get a hold of you? Uh, is it eddiepepitone.com? Yes, eddiepepitone.com. P-E-P-I-T-O-N-E? Yeah, E-D-D-I-E-P-E-P-I-T-O-N-E.com. Yeah. Um, what are some recurring negative thoughts that you have towards yourself? Oh, God. Um, recurring negative thoughts. Uh, I'm ugly. Mm. Uh, I am not... Uh, I, I'm not getting enough done. Uh, I, I'm a terrible planner. Um, I'm gonna be. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna wind up homeless. Mm -hmm. that, that I'm gonna wind up homeless. I'm gonna wind up penniless. What are some be, before we go? Not a good person. Some some slices of your life. Some snapshots or little vignettes that were. Uh, especially painful or embarrassing or life-changing for, for some reason i always remember you know we talked about my mom not being there for me i was a little kid and i hit her on the head i was real little mm -hmm. i must have been like i mean and i and this memory has always stuck with me i i don't have many memories mm -hmm. from when i was a little little kid i think i might have been two or three but i hit my mom on the head with a hammer really yeah, and I'll never forget the big, like, uh, hubbub it created. I remember my my dad, my mom screaming. He hit me. He hit me um, on the head with the hammer. And my dad kind of, you know, holding me and going, you know, and 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 bouncing me, going, "All right, all right, it's all right, it's all right." Because I was really freaked that I had did that. Mm -hmm. You know, that was like whew, that was so uh, uh, emotionally uh, charged. And then, and then another. See, I think you were telling your parents, "I want to be a carpenter." 
They couldn't see that. <laughs> Read the Bible, I was saying to them. Read the Bible. Jesus was a carpenter. And then I'm, try, I'm trying to think of other, you know, it's usually just these traumatic fucking, I'll never forget uh, uh, being caught sexually uh, exploring with my sister, like mm-hmm. my dad walking in, and my 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 younger. Well, to be fair, you were in your twenties. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what happened, and how old were you? Uh, I think I was like um, seven. No, I don't know. I don't know. Something like yeah, about seven. Yeah. and I was just a kid being totally curious. Normal. Totally normal. Curious. My sister. We we were taking baths together. But then I don't know. I was like, oh yeah, tell me what what's that right there? And my dad coming in and just being angry. And I just was so shamed. Sh- the shame things. Yeah, like that. You I'm know, sure it was done. To my him. shrink right now says I. You know, the the panic attacks that I were diagnosed with are very similar to post traumatic stress syndrome like guys get it from war mm-hmm. you know stuff like that let's see i would say life is a uh is a uh beautiful bloodbath <laughs> is that why you call your show eddie pepitone yeah blood well bath? i call it bloodbath because i really do think life is is an absolute bloodbath a bloodbath of egos it's a bloodbath of egos yeah that's what I think. I mean, you know, you know, it's so funny about meditation and serenity. You know, it's like I can meditate, and I do this joke on stage. I can meditate, and I can feel, oh, that was good. You know, I feel, I feel good. I feel better. And then, you know, I'll just, I'll go outside, and one interaction with somebody who'll say, "Hey, you know, you're in the garage. You know, in the communal garage where we park our car. You know, you, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, but you park your car a little close to mine." I'm immediately like, "Really?" <laughs> because you've been doing that to me. That's how I see it. Yeah. Like, it's just a bloodbath of, like, yeah. you know, everybody's got uh, an agenda, uh-huh. you know? But. So how do you interact with people, the question is, and. Again, I think it comes down de-escalate to. De-escalate instead of escalating. You know, you know I, I think, again, it comes down to what we talked about before, which is change it in me. Yeah. Like, if that person says that, like, a healthy me mm-hmm. would have said. Oh, I, I, I'm re- I apologize. I'll, uh, I'll really try to watch that. Yeah. You know? I always then fear that I'm getting taken advantage of. And I, and I think that's the misconception that makes our world a worse place is we feel like we're, we're weak or we're being taken advantage of yes. probably about 90% too much of the time instead of giving other people leeway and saying, you know what, this person's just—I uh, I hate to use the phrase because I don't know what other phrase to use it to use—but this mm-hmm. person's just another sick child of, of God. And, and I, there are definitely times when you need to make a stand and you need to stick up for yourself or confront somebody. But I think those times are few and far between. And I think most of the time, we need to let people be imperfect. Yeah. And the days when I'm able to do that, and and realize that they're not doing it at me. Yes. They're, that's their coping mechanism because they're full of fear. Right, right. They, they don't, don't even know f- me. And when fear goes unchecked, it turns into anger. That's in my opinion. Yeah. And so what we feel is that person's anger a lot of times, and we think it's directed at us, but what they're, they're just letting their, their fear, their, the steam of their fear has built up into anger, and they're just trying to let it. 
let it out. And so I try, I try to, yeah. to let that go more than I used to. And I'm able to have good days when I can do that and not feel like okay, I can't look like a punk here. Right. Doesn't make you a punk. Right. Doesn't make you a punk. Right. Same here. Um, I've had this thing lately also. I don't know. I think it's related boundaries. Like I really, so that screws up my, because I, I have, I've had trouble or I do have trouble with boundaries. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, it sounds like your dad had no respect for your boundaries. Yeah. He wanted you to be his buddy, you know, was hypercritical of you. and Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, it, it sounds like your your family life wasn't a place where boundaries were kind Yeah. Of so it's been really hard for me to, like, know what's appropriate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you know, I have to. You know, without without feeling like I'm 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 hurting someone. Right. Did you ever get the feeling that that your dad was that there was an authority from him that was safe and and good, or was it always mm. like I'm kind of on my own? Um, my dad's kind of needy. Sometimes I got to be the parent to him. Yeah, more the latter. I I, I never really felt that safety. Yeah. That's a that's a really common thing with comedians and people it, in general on this and, and myself included. It was the feel. I remember being six or seven and, and and thinking to myself, I feel like I know people better than my parents do. I feel like I understand the dynamics of mm. people and and I f- remember feeling almost when you were six so- or seven. Yeah, almost yeah. feeling. So- almost feeling sorry and parental towards my parents because oh, I could yeah. see that they were fucked up in some level. Yeah. Me too. You know, hey, that's why there's comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't wait to get on stage after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, uh, thank you for coming and, uh, yeah, thanks and for doing me. this. Uh, um, you're one of my favorite people to perform with. And if you've never seen Eddie, uh, Same, right back Eddie Pepitone, go check out his website. I'm sure you got a bunch of clips there. Uh, watch some of the YouTube. Uh, My stuff. last fear I want to mention yeah. before we go off is that I wasn't good on the podcast today. Yeah, that would be an irrational fear because because <laughs> you were uh, you were great, and I and I have that fear whenever I go on anybody else's podcast. <laughs> I am always yes. convinced this was the worst episode ever of their podcast, and they're never going to have me on again. Every <laughs> single time, every single time. Yeah. So I get that, but you uh, you would be wrong my friend. Thanks. Uh, Love you, Eddie, and thank you you for coming and doing this. Thanks, man. All right. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. 
When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Um, you know, it's interesting that uh, this episode with Eddie was taped a couple of days before I went home and all the stuff that he talked about is stuff that actually came up for me at home. You know, talking about... You got to let stuff, let people be how they are. And occasionally, yeah, you need to make a stand and you need to set boundaries. And for 48 years of my life, um, I kind of let my mom treat me the way she treats me because I want her to be happy. And it came to a head this last couple of days. I was staying with her for four days, which... I didn't want to do, but I thought this will make her happy. She doesn't get to see enough of me. Um, and I found myself one morning, I got up before she did, and I was walking past her her bedroom, and the door was open, and I saw that she was in bed, and the thought occurred to me, it would be such a relief if she didn't wake up. And that's a horrible, horrible thing to think and to say, but that's the fucking truth. And I immediately felt guilty, and then I thought, what can I do so that I don't feel that way? What action can I take? What, what, what is the honest, loving thing for me to do to address this feeling? And she and I were talking later that day. And, you know, I hope she never listens to this podcast because there, I do love my mother and there's many things about her that are great. But she has this sick part of her. And we all have sick parts of us, but the sick part of her um, tries to love me, but it comes across as condescending and it puts me down and it's a thousand different variations on you don't know, I know. And it kills any joy uh, that I have going and it makes me shut down and it makes me want to leave. And later that day we were having a conversation and I could feel her trying to, to get closer to me and it's interspersed with these these put-downs of me, of telling me that I don't know. And I said, you know, Mom, I know that you want to be closer to me. And this is really hard for me to say because there's nobody that a child should feel closer to than their mother or their wife, but I don't feel safe around you. And that hurts me to say. It makes me sad because I know you want a better relationship with me. But these things that I ask you not to do you continue to do and I have to set up a boundary to protect myself and it made me sad uh, to have to do that but I finally got into a point in my life where I am worth establishing that boundary I feel I'm worth establishing that boundary and sticking to it and so the ball is in her court if she wants to begin to look at the way she treats her son and how it fills him with dread it's up to her. I've done my part. I've, uh, you know, as we say, kept, I've swept up my part of the street and been honest. Um, and
and that's all I can do. But it makes me sad that the one person in, who I should feel the most comforted and the safest by is the person I feel the least safe around in my life. And I think there's probably a lot of other people out there listening um, that have parents like that and know that they're probably not doing it out of malice, but that doesn't mean you should subject yourself to it if it's making you miserable. And if you don't know how to set that boundary, get some professional help. It, it's taken me 20 years of professional help and support groups to get to the point where I could do that. But I feel free now that I've done it. And a little part of me really fucking hopes my, a large part of me hopes my mom never hears this. But if she does, I'm going to own it because that's how I feel. And uh, if you feel like I do, Hopefully you know now that you're not a bad person for thinking that or feeling that, and you're not alone. Thanks for listening.